Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. My wife was saying recently that, thank you, she is shocked that we're already in Christmas. Is anybody else shocked that we're already reached Christmas? It's amazing how, how fast time just goes by us. But we're here. We are in December. Angels are up. Christmas trees are up. People wearing their ugly sweaters. People looking ugly. Been looking ugly. But we're here. And uh, I think it's safe to say that I, I need to preach on something to do with Christmas the next few weeks. So, uh, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, it, it is hard, whether y'all know this or not, it is very hard for a preacher. It, it's a lot easier for um, an evangelist than it is for a pastor. It, it's a lot easier for um, someone who does motivational speaking than it is for a pastor because a pastor has to preach the same people every week 52 times a year but then on Wednesdays so that's 52 more times a year here in in, uh, Missouri 52 times 52 is supposed to equal 104 so it's 104 times and you've been at the same church for just about 10 years that's over a thousand messages And then I've got the responsibility and the pressure to preach a message that's not the same as I did before. It's not really fair that the worship team can preach us sing the same 10 songs, 20 songs, but I got to have a fresh message every single week. It's not right. But you just got to do what you got to do and figure it out and so I'll be honest with you, a lot of people won't say this, but I'll say it. Once in a while, I got to go back and look at old messages and preach to myself because I'm like, Lord, I done preached on Christmas for 10 years here and for another eight other places. And uh, all that to say, one of the messages that, that I had previously preached, I, I, I went in and just kind of took some of the main points and revisited. Really, all I did was stole the title of it because I thought it was very appropriate for us. So I want to open up using the same title, and the title is The Gift You Didn't Want or The Unwanted Gift. Uh, The content is going to be fairly different, but I do want to open up with you by by saying a similar story that I've said before, and what that is is I think it's safe to say that all of us have received a gift at some point of our life that we didn't like. Amen. Amen. I remember as a kid, probably about 11 years old, receiving socks. Anybody ever got socks as a kid for Christmas? That's a ripoff, ain't it? I mean, you go to bed all excited because Santa Claus is coming and he came to town and brought you socks. And if you're real lucky, they ugly socks. Maybe books. Anybody got that one aunt or uncle that gets you books? Want no books? I remember this one uncle and aunt, and they were the best at giving the worst gifts. Y'all heard that right. Essentially what I'm saying is they were the worst gift givers. 
Now, I can tell you about my dad. He was very similar. My dad is what I want to call a terrible gift giver. I never remembered in all of the years as a toddler, an adolescent, a teenager, all the years, whatever you want to call it, I never remember my dad giving me a toy. I don't ever remember getting a Nintendo, an Atari. Anybody know what an Atari is? I, I don't ever remember my dad getting me anything like that where I could sit back and enjoy and play. I, I must admit, as a kid, I looked forward to getting gifts, but it wasn't from my dad. I already knew what was up when my dad was giving me a gift. It wasn't going to be something I could enjoy. There were always practical gifts that my dad was giving me. That's all he gave was practical gifts. I don't like it as a kid to get a practical gift. No, anybody remember getting practical gifts? Oh, you're going to need this. I don't care if I need it. I want a toy. I, I, I didn't ask for that. I asked for the new 2019 whatever, John Madden. I just want Madden. Right, 2K. There you go. But, but really, as I look now and begin to see this and begin to evaluate it, things have kind of shifted in my head and heart and understanding the concept a bit differently. You see, my dad would always get me dumb stuff like socks and underwear. And if I was really lucky, see, once upon a time, you know, back in the 80s, there was a shift from whitey tighties to boxers. Anybody remember that shift? See, when my dad really got hip, he started buying me boxers. But the best thing that my dad ever bought me, which I didn't like then either, was savings bonds. Now, if you are from the 80s or the 90s, you remember savings bonds. Who remembers savings bonds? Some people remember savings bonds. Savings bonds used to be awesome because you would go in and buy a savings bond. I am feeding back terribly up here. Years ago, you would go in and you would buy a savings bond at the bank, and it was a check. And the check would say $100 on it, but how much would it cost you? $50. 50 You would pay $50 for the savings bond, and then over a process of 6 to 10 years, it would be what we call mature, and it would be worth the face value of 100 So my dad would go and buy me $200 savings bonds for 100 bucks, and then present them to me and say, hey, boy, I got you $200. I'm all happy. The problem is I'd go to try to cash it, and I couldn't because it hasn't matured. So essentially, I'm eight years old getting 100 bucks, but I can't use it until I turn 18, and it becomes 200 bucks. Now, that ain't real cool to give to a kid and nothing else. Saving bonds were great, but reality is that they were horrible all at the same time. Actually, looking back, these gifts were awesome, but I hated them. Seeing my uncle and my aunt, you know, the bad gift givers, and my dad come around with gifts, I just put my head down. I didn't want nothing they had to offer me because I knew I wasn't going to be able to use it for a while. At the time, these gifts were terrible. I didn't understand them. I didn't want something practical. I didn't want something that would help me later. I wanted something that would satisfy my carnal, materialistic appetite at 11. But as I got older, my mind has begun to shift. See, what I didn't realize then is socks were needed. How many of y'all wish you had some socks right now? You had your holy, busted up socks. 
know your big toe sticking out right now in the middle of service. That is not what God meant when he said be holy. How many of y'all be honest and say you got a hole in your sock right now? No, don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't even do it. <laughs> we got one up here. I'm too OCD with a hole for my, in my sock. If my toe starts busting through, I'm throwing them away. Now, boxers, on the other hand, boy, I wear those things out. My wife sneak throws them away. And I'm like, where is my good boxers? What good boxers? The one with four holes in it. She's like, I threw them away, them dirty old things. See, but today we like new socks. Feel all good on your feet, right? Today we would like to get a nice book. How many of y'all would like to get a, a savings bond from pastor this year? Right? Heck yeah, I don't care. Look, give it to me. Worst case scenario, I turn it in and get half price. <laughs> Shoot. I say that to say my dad's unwanted gifts, excuse me, the gifts that my dad gave me were unwanted gifts, and I never wanted them, but they were the very gifts that helped me and changed my life, because at the age of 16, you know what I got when I turned 16? A car. Day I turned 16, I'm driving. And you you know, some people call it, if you get a car at 16, privileged. You know what I call it? Savings bonds. I'm 37 years old, and I don't ever remember getting a toy from my dad. So is it privileged, or is it, you know, my dad just decided to never give me a toy and make me never have a childhood, therefore now I'm buying toys and my wife is suffering. The reality of all of this is, 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 is my dad, thankfully, was able to see beyond all of the materialistic stuff. He was able to see that that, that that toy was going to be fun for the day, fun maybe for the week. If you're lucky, they'll play with it for a month, but then after that, it's gone, right? Right? And, and uh, isn't it funny, like some of the best gifts are like the box that the toy came in. Yeah, yeah? And, and, and it's a waste. So my dad was like, you know what, I'm not even going to buy you a gift, and I don't care if you don't like me for not buying you a gift, because sooner or later you will like me when your savings bonds mature and you're driving while everybody else is still catching the school bus. And I say that to say that I'm very thankful for people like my dad and my aunt and uncle who gave me very gifts that were very unpractical and that I didn't appreciate at the age of 11 because later on they ended up reaping of far greater value. My children the same way. They've never had a birthday party, a big birthday party. At our house is the best you're going to get. Don't think we're taking you out to incredible pizza, Chuck E. Cheese, spending 300 bucks renting the pool because you are not getting it. None of them are getting it. Why? Because we're not spending money on that. First of all, we got four kids. Well, that's sad. Pastor, you ain't giving your kids a big birthday? No, but you'll see them at 16 driving a car. Well, how are you going to do that? Because I've asked my parents, my wife's parents, and, uh, and my parents, and us, if you're going to give your kids something, just give them cash. We don't give them gifts at Christmas. So now we're passing that on. Hadassah is 11 years old, and she's got about $1,300 in the bank. Uh, Isabella is nine years old and probably has about 1100 in the bank. Anthony is five years old and dude sitting on like 800 bucks. They all got money in the bank. Every one of them got money in the bank. And it's really nice because if I'm low, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hadassah used to have 23. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> 
But I say that because the goal is, is that we can continue. Now, along the way, we're showing them how much money they have in the bank. And then when they want to make a big purchase, we're like, you sure you want to do it? And they're like, ooh, no, never mind. I don't want to do that. Uh, and the goal is, is that it helps them along the way. But I say that to say that they don't truly appreciate not getting gifts right now. But when they turn 16 or 18 or whatever, and, and their money has, has doubled, tripled, quadrupled, whatever the case may be, and they're able to drive while everybody else is not, then things are going to shift. And why do I say that to you? I say that because God is very similar to us, that he doesn't always send us what we want, but he's always giving us the gift we need. Some of us are sitting back praying that God sends us a Lex Coop, Beamer, or Benz. But God is always going to provide what you, what, you, what you need, but he may not always fill in what you want. And this is actually the exact same thing he did when he sent Jesus. In John chapter 3 and 16, for God so loved the world. My dad loved me, and, and for, God so, uh, for, for God so loved the world, he gave. My, my dad so loved me that he gave. The problem is, is I didn't think he really loved me because what he gave is not what I wanted. But God loved us so much that he doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. My dad loved me so much that he did not give me what I wanted. He gave me what I needed. And see, you got to realize that if someone loves you, they give you what you need, not always giving you what you want. Especially when you're talking about parent to children. Our job is to nurture and steer and direct them and give them what they need, not what they want. And hopefully one day they'll understand it, even though it may be a while. My dad gave me things because he saw a bigger picture than I could see or understand. God, too, sees a bigger picture that we cannot see or understand. Therefore, God so loved us that he gave us his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If I asked you the question and said, God wants to give you one gift and only one gift, what do you you want, or we could say it like this, if you had one wish, what would you want? When you hear people ask the question, get asked the question, if you had one wish, what would it be? You never hear us wishing for God's grace or favor. Or for God's uh, uh, forgiveness or love or send his son. It's always things like a million dollars. A husband, a wife, pay off all of my debt, get me a new car, have a new house, right? That's the things we wish for because the reality is, is we don't understand the gift we needed as opposed to the gift we wanted. The things we want and the things we need are completely different. What we want is to feel good, look good, and have stuff. But what we need is for our souls to be saved that at the end, God can look at us and say, come on in, my son. I love you. Come on in, my daughter. And we spend eternity with him. Can I tell you that a child from the age of 1 to the age of 17 who gets gifts that are very far from, 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 from um, um, uh, nice, they're, they're very far from from, from enjoyment. The, the gifts for 17 years of our life are practical and we hate them and it seems like a lifetime but then you get older and you start receiving the gifts of the gift from years ago and now you're thankful that your earthly father and mother did not give you what you 
wanted, but they gave you what you needed. Can I tell you, it's going to be much like that when we get to heaven, when we're standing before the Lord and he lets us in and we see heaven and and the pearly white gates and the streets of gold and and angels and no sicknesses, no diseases, no gangbanging, no drugs, no addiction, no cancer, nothing. There is nothing. And we are in heaven with the creator of heaven and earth and we are enjoying life eating wonderful food at the Lord's table and there's no worries, 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 there's there's all peace and joy and simplicity life and everything's growing. There's no weeds, there's no fertilizer needed, there's no Roundup need to be sprayed, no pesticides, everything's organic and you can eat whatever you want that's on the menu. This is heaven. I believe once you get to heaven, you will no longer question why God gave you gifts like Jesus. See, right now we don't understand and we're saying, God, I'm I'm tired of this gift called Jesus. Can you just send me a husband? I'm tired of this gift like named Jesus. Can you just send me a wife? I'm I'm tired of this gift. Can, Can I just get a job making more money? And we're praying for God to give us all this stuff. And we don't really understand it because we're having a hard time wrestling between what we want and what we need. But once we get there, much like now, I can look back and say, man, I'm thankful for my dad who bought me gifts constantly based off what I needed and not what I wanted. One day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to say, God, I'm so thankful that you gave me a gift that I needed and not what I wanted. See, because a gift that you want will get you lost in the gift and you'll forget the reason for everything to begin with. Let me show you another sixth scripture. In John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So, so again, see that here it says that in him was life, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. So his life came and lit up the dark places, and the light that shines into that darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. Essentially what this scripture is saying through the author of John is it's saying that Jesus came into darkness, but darkness did not comprehend Jesus. Look what it says in John 1 and 10. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Can you see just for a moment that Jesus came as the greatest gift to all humanity, but when he showed up, nobody wanted him? The darkness couldn't comprehend him, and his people didn't want anything to do with him. Why is that? Because the gift that is greatest and most needed for you, you don't even realize you need. And you don't even want it, because what you want and what you need don't look the same. We are always desiring the things we want, but oftentimes we're not desiring the things we need. That's why you don't hear people pray, Lord, I just need you to get me work to work. Instead, we pray, Lord, I want a brand new car paid off. Instead of us praying, Lord, I just want you to give me the peace of mind and help me to get through life and enjoy it along the journey, we're going to pray, Lord, I just want a spouse. Because the idea is, is that we are wrongly praying, looking for God to give us all of these wants because it's different than the things we actually need. No one realized that what they needed was Jesus. Now, don't get it twisted and say, oh, how in the world did they not know that? We're the same way. 
Think about it. When things get real bad, you don't think you need Jesus. You think you need a job that pays more money. No, I don't. Y'all don't get me over there. See, when things get real bad and real low and you don't know what to do, you don't think you need Jesus. A lot of times you think you need counseling. You think you need medicine. You think you need to go to a doctor. You think you need to meet the right person at the right time that can change your life. You think you need to move out of state. You think you need something. And can I tell you, the only thing we need is Jesus. And and we're no different than them. The reality is, is Jesus is trying to come into our lives and our situations. But a lot of times we are in so much darkness that we can't even comprehend the gift. We believe and have convinced ourselves that there's something else outside of him that will complete us. But the reality is the only thing that will complete is the gift that you never wanted. Look what it says in Luke chapter 2. It says, Joseph, in verse 4, went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She's about to give birth to a baby and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling uh, clothes and she laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, now as we just read, there was no room for Joseph and Mary in the inn. You see that underline there? There, there was, what's it say? There was no what? There was no room for them. There, there was no room for them. Now, now, traditionally, the first thought that comes to mind when we think about there being no room is there was too many gifts, gift, uh, excuse me, too many guests, and there was no availabilities, there was no vacancies, there was no openings, there was no beds. Now, the reason we draw that conclusion, and it's quite accurate, is because we know that this was the time when the census was taking place. Everyone needed to go and register at their, at their place where they were born and raised and grew up at. It wasn't like today where they could do a census and get you other ways. You had to actually go back to your hometown to re-register. So now Joseph and Mary went back to their hometown to re-register, and while they are there registering, everybody else is doing the same, so most of the hotels were full. There was no vacancies. So now we hear the story about Jesus trying to find, excuse me, Mary and Joseph trying to get with Jesus to some sort of hotel room, if you will, that they can be there and and have some comfortable sleep and give birth to a child, but there is no room for them. There's no room. And, And I know that most likely there was no room because there was too many people, but what if it wasn't just too many people? What if there was other things like maybe there was no room because of too much junk and trash in their house? Maybe there was no room because it wasn't clean and they were unwilling to open up at that time. What if there was no room because the innkeeper was too busy to clean some stuff up and make some room? When I begin to think about there being no room for Jesus, just that, that one phrase, no room. Just, just allow your head to wrap around that. Okay, in just a few short weeks from now, we are going to be celebrating when Mary, a virgin, was conceived through immaculate conception, pregnated by the Holy Spirit, never had a sexual relation with a man, and then went for nine months 
still having no sexual relations, and then giving birth to a son named Jesus. There's a star in the clouds in the sky, and these, these wise men from the east followed that star and gave gifts of frankincense and, and myrrh and, 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 and gold, and, and, and they, they worshiped Jesus. And then you had the shepherds who came, and they worshiped Jesus, and, and all of life changed based off this man named Jesus. If you don't think it's true, just look and study history. He has changed our world. The entire timeline of, of, of creation of history is based off a monumental moment, Jesus. Jesus is, is the most important and influential person in all of humanity. And I say this because here you have Jesus, the son of God, inside of a woman named Mary. And Mary goes house to house with Joseph and there's not one person that could make room for him. Not one person. And I began to think about that, and what came to mind was, how many times do we as people, much like these innkeepers, not have room for Jesus? How often are we saying to ourselves, I don't have room? You may not have room because it's messy. You may not have room because you don't have time. You may not have room because there's too many people. But God forbid that Jesus is knocking on our door, and we say, Lord, we just don't have time. Now, now I, know, I know really when you think about this, here's the, here's the thing you, you got to get. A lot of times when Jesus is knocking, we don't even recognize it. See, they didn't really know that it was Jesus. They, they didn't know because had they known that this was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the Messiah, they would have opened the door and let him in and they would have made room. But since they didn't know, to them it just looked like a boy named Joseph and a, boy na- and, a, and, a, and a lady named Mary. And these two people needed a place to stay. And they turned them away just like they turned everybody else away. But the difference was, is had they known inside of Mary was a king, they would have made room. The reason I say that to you is because it's not any different for us. Jesus is always knocking, but a lot of times we don't hear it because we don't know it's him. See, if Jesus came to you plainly and walked up to you like an angelic being and said, hey, some things need to change in your life. I want to come in and dine with you and you with me. I want some changes to take place. And if you allow that to happen and you let me in, I'm going to radically change your life. If you had an encounter so blunt and so real, it would be very easy for you to clean out your house and make room for him. But because he's a still small voice and he speaks to you in a language that often you can't hear or understand and identify as Jesus, the the call at the altar is not enough. The words you get on YouTube or Facebook often aren't sufficient. And God is constantly knocking because he wants to get in and have control of more, but a lot of times he can't because we can't properly identify it as Jesus. So I need us to see for a moment that it's important that we, 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 us, all of us, are constantly asking ourselves the question, am I somehow not making room for Jesus? Am I not making room for him? Have I not made enough room for him? So here's the point, one, point one, no room for Jesus because people consume my life. No room for Jesus because of people consuming my life. Can I tell you just for a moment that there is a fight between Jesus getting in and people getting out? 
Well, I'm going to talk to somebody in just a minute. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 33, it says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts what? Good character. I don't care what you think. I just need to tell you that those people that are unhealthy for you, like a cancer to you, will prohibit Jesus from coming in and living with you the way you'd like him to. Bad company will corrupt your intentions to have good character, period. And, and, and Jesus is constantly trying to get in, and he's, and he's knocking on the door, but the question I want to ask is, who you got in your house? Look, we'll go to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 11, it says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. Has uh, anybody's life ever kind of started getting rougher and rougher? Okay, we'll keep on going right there. I won't even stop there. So, he, so they asked the question and said, what shall we do to make the sea calm down for us? Just to let you know real quick where, what's happening. Jonah was asked by God, commanded by God, instructed by God that he was to go and preach the gospel to a wicked city called Nineveh. And Jonah was like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is full of wicked people and I know if I go there I'm going to preach the gospel and they're going to get saved and, and I, I, they don't even deserve getting saved. They, they, don't, they don't deserve it. Now all of us have a certain group of people that we would say they don't deserve to get saved. All of us do. You don't have to admit it publicly. There is a sin that is too bad for you and you don't even think that God should forgive it. Right? And, and that's where Nineveh was. Uh, that's how, how Jonah was to Nineveh. Jonah was like, you know what? Nineveh is so wicked. They, they offer false, they, they worship sacrifices of children to false gods. They, they have sex in the name of God. And, and they do all kinds of wicked, just, just heinous, just, just heresy. It, it is disgusting. It is evil. And I don't even want to go preach there because if I do, I know what God's going to do. He's going to forgive them. So he ran. He went the other way. He was out of the will of God. He jumped on a boat and took a boat across the sea. And while they were on the sea, I don't know what day they were in, but they were in the middle of the sea and a storm came and the storm started to get rougher and rougher. So then everybody else asked a question and says, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Because you now told us that you're running from God, that you're part of the problem. So what in the world should we do? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Just get rid of me. See, here's, here's the thing. Some of y'all's lives are getting rougher and rougher, and it won't calm down until you throw Jonah off your boat. There are some people in your life that is going to do nothing but continue to bring you trouble upon trouble and upon trouble. And you say, well, if God be for me, can't nobody be against me. Don't be stupid. Look, because there are some people in your life that are like cancer to you, and if they've been causing you problems and drama and issues for three years or six years and 10 years and 12 years, what makes you think it's going to change next year? It won't. It's going to be the same. But we are so sensitive and so loving and so kind that when someone makes a little change, we want to keep letting them back in over and over again. How many years does life need to get rougher and rougher and rougher until we finally realize the best thing that I can do for you and for me is to get you off my boat see once in a while we need to get people off our boat see because God cannot be our Lord in the stern of the boat while we got jacked up people on the deck of the boat oh I'm talking to somebody right now see you, you can't have Jesus in the stern but jacked up people on deck right 
We, we want the Jesus in the parables about where the disciples were up on the deck of the boat and the storms of life came and they went downstairs and said, Jesus, what are you doing? Aren't you scared? What's going on? And he looked at the storms and said, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you still doubting? He says, peace be still. And it says that the raging storms were calmed. See, because when Jesus is in the stern of your boat, it's all good. But you can't have Jesus claiming calmness when you got the roughness on the deck upstairs. See, Jesus can calm your storm if you don't have the storm on the boat. See, some of the storms that we have in our life are not the storms called life, but we brought the storm in our life. So, so, so Jonah said, look, I know the answer. The only way your life is going to get better is if you pick me up and throw me off. And it says that they, and, and then everything will become p- calm. And then it says, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. See, most people that cause chaos in your life will not be honest enough to say that they're the problem. Most of them won't be. Fortunately, Jonah was. Jonah said, I'm the problem. I know I'm the problem. I'm running from God. But look here. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. You know what they did? They said, we don't want to throw you off. There's got to be an alternative. There's got to be a way to keep bad-charactered people in my life and still honor God and get rid of the storms. You got quiet. You wonder why it got quiet? Because that's what we do. God begins to reveal things that are unhealthy to us, things we need to disconnect from, people we need to get out of our lives, but then we try to change the concept and the relationship and make it more healthy. I'm going to do it this way and try it this way. How about we do this and how about we do that? You've done tried 12 different ways, 15 different ways, trying to fix the same old problem, and guess what? It's still not fixed. It says that these men says, you know what? We don't want, we don't want to get rid of you. I mean, we can't get rid of you. God is love, right? God is love. I can't, I, I can't get rid of you. I mean, I, I, just can't, I just can't get you out of my life. I got to keep you involved. I mean, I can't live knowing that, that, that I chose God over you. I, I just can't live with that. I, I can't live with making a decision to make my storm stop and my life to change and tell you I'm sorry, but let's stop talking. I can't live with that. So instead, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to live with you and just do things smarter this time. So it says, instead of throwing them off like they were told to do, they tried to simply do their best to just work it out and get to land instead. But look what it says. They could not. Y'all see that? They could not. And then it says the sea grew even wilder than before. If you try to use your own intelligence to fix bad relationships, it's never going to get fixed. It's only going to get wilder and wilder. If there's relationships that you know are very unhealthy and they're not good for you and, and, and it's been, I'm not talking about a week relationship, a month relationship. I'm not talking about somebody messed up one time and, and now you write them off. I'm talking about you've dealt with them, you've interacted with them, you've had, you went to them in accountability, you loved on them, you had people go with you, you've worked the steps of, hey, this needs to change, it's not good for me, this needs, and, and it's not working, your pastor, friend, somebody else, you're not crazy, you've been thinking about this for years, you've prayed about it, everybody that you know and loves you is telling you it's the best thing you can do is get rid of them. That's the kind of people I'm talking about. 
Now, now, don't get it twisted and think I'm talking about just writing people off because that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about those Jonas in your life that you know are terrible for you. Everyone you love is telling you to get rid of them. You know God's word's been saying it, but, and you've done it, but then you bring them right back in your life, and, and then you wonder why your life is getting wilder and wilder. It's because the only way to make things change in your life when dealing with people that will not change is for you to change and get them off your boat. Well, pastor, I mean, aren't we to be loving? Yes, we're to be loving, but the first person you love is God. And God forbid that you love them more than God and you feel bad to get rid of them, so therefore you keep them on, so therefore you, you, you give up having the Lord because you got them. God's saying you can't have both. You can't have me in the stern and them on the deck. See, then they cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, please, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't let us die because we brought him on and tried to help him. He says, I'm not trying to let you die, you dummy. Get him off the boat. Come on Lord, why are you going to let me die because I'm trying to help a good man out? Because I've been telling you for 13 years to get rid of him, and you won't listen to me. If you die because of this relationship, it's your own stupidity because I've been telling you what to do, but you would not listen to me. Then he says, do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done what uh, Lord had done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Don't you think for a moment that having the wrong people in your life will not prohibit Jesus from being there? Do not think that unhealthy people that you interact with, that you cover up in the name of ministry and love, if there's people in your life that you say is those you minister to and those you love, but they constantly make you go backwards, or they constantly make you bitter, they constantly make you think and second guess, and you're apprehensive, and you're angry, and you're frustrated, and you're doubting, and drug abuse, and the thoughts of drugs, and alcohol, and all of the old you keeps manifesting because of them and you've sought out help, and everyone says the same thing, get rid of your Jonah, but you don't. Don't get mad at God. Because having the wrong people in your home, having the wrong people in your heart, will prohibit Jesus from getting there. That's good stuff, Pastor. I'm going to share a story that I hope my mom don't hear, but if she does, hopefully she'll understand. Take your time. time. I'm going to go as fast as I can through this part. (laughs) I almost wasn't going to share it, and he told me to take my time. I don't know if I want to share this. Take your time. Make sure everybody hear it. (laughs) 
I remember getting married 13 years ago to my beautiful wife, and uh, the problem was is, is there was another lady uh, years before, a long time before. We got married in 2006, and this individual that I talked to before, we'd had a relationship for about five years that ended in 03, and my, my mom and her were very close, so it was kind of awkward as I was three years out of a relationship, but she was closer to my mom than I was. Uh, needless to say, they continued to have a relationship and connect and so on and so forth. So when my wife came along and we got married, um, it, it was kind of hard for my wife to, to be completely accepted by my mother. And in the first few months, maybe even year, uh, it was very contentious and, and it just felt weird and, and, and uh, more for her than me. I didn't feel it, but she felt it and she told me she felt it. And I called my mom and I said, Mom, I love you very much and I hope you understand this. I'm married now. And... If you can't change and accept Lorenda, I will no longer come to this house. Now, now I know that's very hard for you mothers, and I'm sorry that, I'm, that, that I may be doing this to you, but I really felt like the Lord said to me that I was to cleave to my, look, a man shall cleave to his father, to, to, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh, and that my greatest priority in life is to first pastor my wife and to pastor my children and not let anyone get in the way, including my mother. And I tell you what, I felt very disrespectful having that conversation. Very disrespectful. Like, think about that. That's so disrespectful. You're telling me I done gave birth to you, 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 you 28, no, no, probably about 27, 26 years old, and, and now you're going to tell me that you're going to cut me off and have nothing to do with me, and I raised you, I fed you, I took care of you, I nurtured you, I got you to where you are today, and now you're just going to be done with me? Right? But, but the reality is, is I knew that I could not allow anyone to become a Jonah in my life. Anyone. And I said it with a, a very blunt, straightforward, direct statement I made, but tried to do it with kindness and love. And I had no clue how she was going to receive it. And uh, Lorinda, well, a few years ago, had lost her memory, and, 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 and my mom was like, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but Ray and I was almost done talking when y'all first got married. I was like, and she's like, oh, yeah, really? She's like, yeah, it was all because of you. <laughs> and she says, really, what happened? She's like, he said I needed to either choose to treat you right or he wasn't going to talk to me no more. And she's like, oh, wow, well, how'd it go? And she says, well, you and I have become best friends. She's like, okay, cool. My mom and, and Lorinda talk like three, four, five days a week. They always talk. I don't talk to her very much, but they talk all the time. They're very, very close. They're, they're best friends now. And, and, and I say that to say this. Sometimes you need to be willing to put your foot down regardless of what it may cause or happen. Right? Like, you, you can't live in the what if. God forbid, there is no way that I could do 13 Christmases walking on eggshells. There's no way that I could let my wife think that I'm choosing someone else, even my mother, over her. Right? I, I, got, I got to do what you got to do. And I say this to you because there comes a time in each of your lives when you have to face the decision, am I going to keep on to friends that I don't want to let down because we made some, some decision that this is ride or die? Or am I going to follow the things of God and do what's necessary? Look, look, this is hard, I know. But this is why, this is time to separate the men from the boys. Yeah. 
Look, this, this ain't no little, no little playground type stuff. This is the reality that we need to go and have some hard conversations with people that we call road dog. That, that we grew up with, that we kicked it with, that we made packs with and deals with. And we got to say, look, I got to be honest with you. Where I'm going is not where you're going. I told you I'd be here forever, but I'm in love with God, and you're not helping me. You're hindering me, and I'm making a decision that's going to hurt. And you may think that I'm arrogant, I'm better than you, and, and oh, now I got it now. I got it all together. I'm holy roller, and I'm sorry, and I hope that you understand and see it. But even if you don't, I got to do what is necessary because God has been convicting me that you are indeed a hurt and not a help and I cannot keep choosing you over him so really honestly I think all of us need to ask the question who in the world is on my boat that needs to come off Who's on my boat that needs to come off? And look, if you need help on how to get them off, please come talk to me. Don't do what you usually do. Don't, don't do what you usually do. Don't let Pete, Pookie and Ray Ray and them go with you. Don't get all ghetto. Don't, don't mean, just, just, just come and talk and we'll figure out a game plan. We'll make sure it's nice and cordial and loving and kind. Right? That's the goal. You don't, you don't slash nobody's tires and say they'll get it this time. No. There's got to be a better way, all right? You, you got to do it like Jesus would do it. Uh, second thing is that no more room for Jesus, not only because of people, but maybe there's no room for Jesus because of your house simply being cluttered, being cluttered. I'm like, my question to you is how much stuff is in your life that is causing you to not have the intimacy with God that he would like to have with you? In Revelations 3 and 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, I am interested in coming in and building a very intimate relationship with you. I, I want to know you intimately and personally. But here, here's what I'm realizing happens a lot of times. What is stopping us from intimacy is, in, is being intentional. Intimacy comes from being intentional. Remember just the other night, uh, we, had, we had some folks over to the house. And matter of fact, if there's anybody here, what's the age for that? What is it, 20s and 30s? 20s, low 30s? Mid 30s? If you're, all right, young adults. If you feel like you're a young adult, I'm just going to leave it there. You'd be like, shoot, I know I'm a young adult past it. I was born in 54, but I'm a young adult. <laughs> We, we, if you're a young adult, uh, please come see Jasmine up front because she's here today, or Taylor, and uh, let us add your information to our list. We have done, a, did a young adult thing just the other night on Friday. We had 15 people. They were there till 3.30 in the morning, uh, and uh, it was cool. And we had a great time, and one of the questions, lots of very deep questions, but uh, one was just, I want to go deeper with the Lord, how, how does that happen? And, and, we, and the answer was, if you want to go deeper, you have to know it's a relationship, and relationships become deeper when you're intentional about building them. And if you want to build a deeper relationship with God, you need to be intentional about it. Right, you meet somebody and you trying to have them. So what you doing? You doing all you can to be with them as much as you can. On the lunch break, you going to spend time with them. You call them before you go to bed. You call them when you wake up. You gonna text them like eight times at work. Right? You may even get in trouble doing it. 
because you're so interested in them. This is how we need to be with God. If we want to go deeper with God or we want to have this fellowship moment where he comes in and eats with us and us with him and things begin to go deeper, we need to let him in. But the only way that we can let him in is to get some other things out or off our plates. See, I believe that one of the biggest enemies with us going deeper with God is all the stuff that consumes us. I'm talking about the busyness of life, right? You, you, you're trying to do way too many things. You, you cannot do 15 things good. You'll do 15 things okay if you're lucky. Now, if you're okay with an okay relationship with God, then just keep doing what you do. But if you want to go deeper and make your okay amazing and your amazing just, just, just out of this world, then it's going to take getting some other things out and off of your plate to have some more time to put him on the plate. Y'all with me? See, 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 God, you know, you know, you may think that he's like golden corral and you can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, but I'd much rather have a God like Ruth Chris who's only going to give me one item, but I can guarantee it's going to be an eight-ounce ribeye out of this world that's going to smack you and your mama three times. Like, like you know, I'm, I'm not worried about all of these things. I just want the best of the best. I don't need no bootleg top sirloin cut from some dude who thinks it's medium but really is overcooked. With, with all kinds of fat and gristle in it. I'm going to Ruth Chris, and I'm going to order everything a la carte. Anybody a la carte with me? You know, just this steak, boy, you just bite into it, and it just falls, it's just, just juicy all up. Okay, I'm going to just stop. And, you know, and, and this, this is what the Lord is trying to get us to. He, he wants your good to be amazing, but we have a spirit of golden corral that wants a whole lot of, of everything. And you can have a whole lot of everything, but don't think it's going to be organic. It's going to be some old bootleg, microwave, frozen product you know ain't no real mashed potatoes. But if you want the good stuff, it's going to take time, and you're not going to have a lot. You're only going to have a little bit of something, maybe one or two or three. So what do I do? Figure out what ministry God's called you to. Maybe you're fortunate enough where your ministry and your job go hand in hand, but if they don't, then figure out the job or vocation or career you have, and then figure out some time with the Lord if you got your kids. Okay, that's enough. How in the world are we going to keep putting more and more in this and this and this and this? And we got 18 irons in the fire, and we're wondering why God ain't even at our table. You cannot get the intimacy with God if you can't even get him on your schedule. Some of you are saying, well, I don't really schedule time. I just wait for it to happen. Why not? You schedule dates. You schedule to go to work. You schedule what time you eat. So why wouldn't you schedule time with God? Oh, because I don't feel very spiritual. I have to put it on the calendar. Well, I think you're not very spiritual because you don't. If, if God is that important to you, you put him on your schedule. Whether that means in the morning, at lunchtime, in the evening, whatever. At some point, just figure out a way to make that a part of your routine. So, so we have to make room for him. And the last point is this. There's no room for Jesus for a lot of us. And it really goes hand in hand with the last one. Is because my time management and organizational skills are horrible. Uh-oh. Ephesians chapter 5 and 17 says, be careful how you live. Everybody, everybody, everybody see that? Be careful how you live. Okay, this is important. I need you to get this. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Well, what do you mean? Making the best use of your time. 
Because the days are evil. Oh, my. Hold on. So it says, make the, make the best. Be careful to make the best of how you live. And don't be unwise, but be wise. Make the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. Think about that. The days are evil. The world is evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord of the will, what the will of the Lord is. I believe that a lot of us are operating in things that are not the will of God. We're busybodies. Every day we're waking up living busy, busy, busy lives, but at the end of the day we've done nothing that God's called us to do. We went to work, we did our 40, we punched in, we punched out, we paid our bills, we took care of our kids, we ran them here, we did this, we did that, and everything's done. We come home exhausted, but maybe none of it was the will of the Lord. Because it is very possible that you run ragged, do so much, put so many things on your table or on your, on your, on your tablet, on your plan, on your calendar, whatever you want to call it. But you are not being wise about how you're living. And now for you're taking the time, which is only 24 hours, and you're not using it to the best of your ability. So now you go on years in your life and you're wondering, why can't I accomplish anything? It's because you're not using your time wisely. Lord, I just need one more hour. If you had 25 hours, you'd be just as negligent as you are with 24. How do I know that? Because look at America. It doesn't, make if some, it doesn't matter if somebody makes 18,000 a year, 38,000, or 100,000. Most people in America live by what they make. Period. They don't budget their money well. They, they don't save 30% of their income. They keep living based off what they make. What does that mean? It's the same with time. If you had more time, you'd spend that all too. So how, how do we do differently? The only way to do differently is decide to be wise with your time, use it differently, and prioritize it in a different way, and not be caught just being busy, doing a whole lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, you felt like you weren't very productive. I tell you, I hate those days where you're busy all day, but at the end of the day, you can't say, I feel productive. I felt like I got a lot of stuff done today. That's because a lot of the things that are on your schedule are not even from God. You felt like you needed to help the local ministry down the street. You felt like you needed to say yes to having another night of whatever. You felt like you had to do X, Y, and Z. So now you're living constantly in guilt trying to do things better today because you messed up last week. So you never can say no because you felt like you said no for so many years that you need to always say yes. But now you're saying yes to so many things that you're doing nothing great and everything's half. Can God really be honored in your half-hearted work? I don't think so. Psalms 90 and 12, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We need to number our days. And I don't just mean number your days, like realize that we are here for, for a short while. If you think about it, 365 days times 80 years, that's not a whole lot. We're not here a long time. Some, we're, look, we're, look we're, we're out the door here soon. We're not going to be here very long. I mean, the end is coming for all of us. It's appointed unto every man to, guess what, die. We're going to all die. All of us, we're going to die. Period. So, so what does that mean? We're going to die. So you know, we, 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 our days are numbered. So not only should we realize that our days are numbered, live it wisely, but we need to start numbering our weeks. How many days you got this week? I got seven. Well, how many things can you really do and do well? 
I mean, we need to sit down and reprioritize some stuff and get some things off our schedule. I am, I, look, I'll be honest, it, it really frustrates me to know people for 10 years and they're in the same exact place they were 10 years ago. And they're still talking about the same things they've always talked about. Do you all know anybody that's been dreaming for 10 years and ain't accomplished nothing? That's what I call a dreamer. God ain't called us to be dreamers. He's called us to be visionaries. Visionaries get the dream, and then they take it, and they write it down. They begin to come up with some points to accomplish it, and then they start seeing progress. If you can't see progress of a dream, you need to be second-guessing something. Because we need to be progressing. There, there needs to be steps that we're taking to get where we're going. But a lot of us don't see the steps or the progress and what God's trying to do in us because we're busy. Every day we're busy but not effective. We're doing a lot but getting nothing done. Our schedules are full but at the end we've not accomplished much. We've got tons of credits and no degree. We've worked a ton but we have nothing in our accounts. Right? We got lots of knowledge, but no job to use any of it. Because we need to revisit and, and begin to d- develop plans. So, so in close, I want to read this scripture. Luke 14, 28, it says, For which of you desiring to build a temple does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? That, that, that's, look, that's, that's good. You know why I got quiet again? Because, you know, a lot of times we don't count the cost. So, some of us do. Some of you are really good at it. But this is something we all need to be doing. Of course, you read this in books. If you go to some uh, seminar on on starting a business, launching a business, it's always going to tell you to begin to develop a strategic plan, how much it's going to cost you, what do you need in the first year, what do you need in the second year, how many people do you need to hire, you need to have a cushion, how much cushion should you have, how much should you save in case business isn't coming in, and you you need to plan for everything. You need to plan for not hitting your budget in the first two years. You need to plan for not having any income for a few years. You need to plan for you working and not hiring anybody else. You need to plan for if you do hire, how many people you're going to hire. Is it one part-time or two part-time or one full-time? Are you going to give benefits? Are you going to give no benefits? you got to come up with a complete business plan, a business model. People will not invest in you if you don't have a business model. If you look at Shark Tank, some of y'all watched Shark Tank before, right? They've got great ideas, great plans thought out. They ask the question, they say, so how much are you going to sell it for? How much does it cost to make you? Make. How, how long do you think it'll take for you to pay me back and how much money do you need? Because they've walked through every single step, but yet we as Christians, all we do is sit back and pray and wait for God to do something. We're stupid. All right, y'all ain't stupid. Let me try over here. We dumb, aren't we? We're dumb. Not them, just us. Because we all do it at times. Every one of us do it. And some things you're never going to be able to plan for. You just kind of work and just allow God to just move and go. But you have to sit down and at least desire to build a tower, but first sit down, count the cost, and see whether or not if you have enough to complete it. Look, look, guys, Satan is trying to do his best to destroy us. Jesus so badly wants to come in and just do an amazing work in us. But it might be people that's in the way. It might be clutter that's in the way. It might be simply you got too many things on your plate and it's your time that's in your way. I want to read you this story. It says that Satan called a worldwide convention of demons, and they were in heaven. 
And they began to hear of all of the favorable people that were there and that God loved so much. And the demons got together and said, it's time for us to have a worldwide convention and we are going to oppose Christians. Satan's opening words were, we can't keep Christians from turning against God, but we can distract them from serving him. They said, let them go down, let us go down and begin to do a work on these Christians. Let them go to church, but let us steal their time so they do not have time to develop a relationship with Jesus. This is what I want you to do, Satan said to his devils and the demons. Distract them from maintaining that vital connection with Jesus throughout their day. How shall we do this, the demons asked. Keep them busy in the non-essential things of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. I want you to overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear the still, still small voice of God. Entice them to play the radio, to listen to their iPod, to keep on the TV, DVD player, or even pop in a CD and if that doesn't work, we'll get them with the phone, PC, or tablet. The goal is, is that we jam up their minds and break that union with Jesus. Let's pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day and flood their mailboxes with junk mail. Let's junk mail them and mail order them with catalogs and every other kind of newsletter and promotion offering free products and services. And all kinds of false hope. And when Sears closes, I'm adding this, we'll open up something called wish.com. Let them stand in line for hours for the latest cell phones and the newest movies forgetting about God. Let's get them so lost in what they want they don't even see what they have. Let them be seduced by glitzy advertising that lure them away from God. Fill their world, fill their minds with trash so they will not have room for God. Tempt them to spend and spend and spend and borrow and borrow and borrow. Persuade the wives to work long days and the husband to work seven days a week, 10 and 12 hours a day so they can afford their extravagant lives. Let's convince them that money is what they need. Keep wives and husbands too tired to love each other so after work they get home and just crash. Let's give them headaches and, and, and all kinds of diseases because their bodies are undernourished. Then it says, if they don't give each other the love they need, they will begin to look elsewhere for love outside of their marriage. This will fragment their families quickly. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their families fragment soon, their homes will offer no escape from the pressures but to keep on working and working and working. I want you to keep skinny women, beautiful models on magazines and TV so that everyone else believes that beauty is on the outside and they forget about the love and beauty that comes from God and on the inside. Oh, and about these holidays, I want you to give them a Santa Claus to distract them from the real reasons of Christmas. I want them to get lost in the real gift with other gifts, 
Oh yeah, and about Easter, we'll take away the resurrection and make it about the bunny and get people lost in candy and dinners and lose the sight of the power of God that was the best food that they could ever have. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Let them think that attending sports events is more important than keeping the holy days to the Lord. Treating sports and those who play sports better than God himself. Oh, let's keep them so busy and so weighed down with life that they never take time to ask God to come on in. Keep them busy, busy, busy. This is what I want you to do is what Satan's saying. It'll work. It'll work. This plan will work. Then the demons left that meeting with Satan, and they eagerly went on their assignments, causing Christians all over America to get busier and busier, more rushed, going around doing this and doing that, having little time for God and their families. What does the word busy mean? B-U-S-Y, being under the yoke, excuse me, being under Satan's yoke. Again, being under Satan's yoke. We need to figure out a way to slow down. We need to figure out a way to get people out. We need to figure out a way to let him in. And I'll be honest with you, this is the best time of year to do it. Right? Now, this is the best time of year to do it. So I want to challenge everybody over the month of December, do me a favor. Can you just try to come for four weeks in a row? try it. You're like, oh, that's easy. No, no, it's really not. Um, they say in America that it is, it is normal to feel like you're pastoring two different churches. And I, and I will 100% affirm and agree to that. Because the people shift every week. You see one group one week and the next group the next week. Sometimes it's because of work, but, but so, sometimes it's just because we got other things we need to get out. Look, th- this is it, guys. I want to just challenge you. Say, you know what, Lord, I want more from you. I want something different from you. I want things to be better. And and God is saying, the the foundation's been laid. I'm telling you, there's people in your life you need out. There's clutter you need to clean up. You need to learn to balance and manage your schedule better. And and put me on your calendar. Let an alarm go off reminding you that it's time to spend with me. Jesus wants in. He stands at the door and knocks. And my prayer for us is that we will start acknowledging this gift that God gave to us as the greatest gift we could ever have. And rather than seeing it as a gift that we don't want, that we'll start saying, I want that gift. I want all of it. And that we'll begin to pursue God like maybe we've never pursued him before. And that we'll go deeper than maybe we've never went before. And we'll see more than we've ever seen before. I pray that God is beginning to birth something in me and my wife and my children. And in all of us here at Diverse City Church and those who are watching online. And that we're just going deeper with God than maybe we've ever went before. I'm praying that this is a season. A new season, not a church season, not a religious season, but a real authentic season with God where we're going deeper and making more time, carving out our schedule, changing our priorities, and saying, Lord, I'm giving you permission to come and sit at my table and do whatever you want with me and have full control of my life because, God, I want you to do whatever it is you want to do.
That's my prayer for us, Lord. That's my prayer for us. If anybody here says, Pastor, I, I just tell you, man, that, that was for me and you spoke to me today. Or I just, I just, you know, God's doing something in my life and I'm excited about it. Can you just slip your hand up real quick? I just want to see who's with me today. Thank all y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, let's just, just don't lose that. Don't lose that. Just say, I remember putting my hand up on Sunday. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, put your hand up again. And say, God, I said it on Sunday. I'm saying it today. I'm inviting you in. I want you to get in my car with me. I I want you to walk to the bus stop with me. I want you to go to work with me. I want you to go while I drop my children off to school. Lord, I need you to be with me. Lord, Lord, I want you. I'm inviting you into my life. Don't forget Tuesday, raise your hand. Wednesday, raise your hand. Thursday, raise your hand and say, here I am, Lord. I'm surrendering to you, whatever you want to do, and just keep raising your hand and inviting him in. Invite him in. Invite him in. I want to go deeper. I want more. Father, I pray it's starting right now that you acknowledged every hand that was raised. I pray that you acknowledge even those that weren't. And that this message today will be applied to our lives and to our hearts. And that we will begin to implement them and walk in them. And that we will see changes begin to come. In the name of Jesus. And we the people of God say amen. These altars are open. If anybody needs more prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Please feel free to come to, these, to the altar if you need prayer. If anyone says, man, I just want a relationship with Jesus, period. I've never had that. Or maybe you say I've had it and it's a loss. It's just been, it's a, it's a lost thing, man. It's just, it's non-existent. These altars are open and we're here for you. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Come back next Sunday and invite someone to come with you as we experience God together during this Christmas season. God bless you. God bless you. you. Thank you for joining us and we hope this message blessed you. 